Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Uh, my name's Jeremy. Uh, I'm an elder here, and I serve as the ministry intern, and I'm uh, delighted to be here with you. If you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand, and one of the ushers will bring you uh, a Bible. Uh, we are going to be looking at John chapter 16, uh, verses 25 to 33. So if you will turn with me there. It's a, uh, it's a good passage, and I hope that our time here uh, will prove that. Uh, if you'll turn with me, John chapter 16, uh, verses 25 to 33 says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father." His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Pray with me. Father, we are humbled by your word. We are thankful for the truth. We are thankful for the light. Thank you, Father, that that you spoke uh, these words through your son um, to his disciples many years ago and that you speak these words to us this morning. I pray, Father, now as we open your word together, that your truth would be proclaimed, that the words would fall onto good soil and that we would hear you, that we would see you, that we would understand you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity uh, to know you. And, uh, and proclaim uh, your good news today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this summer, I've been uh, lifeguarding a little bit uh, at Camp Maranatha. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a fun place to be. And one of my, my favorite things about the camp, uh, or about the pool, is that it's got some classic uh, things there. Uh, mostly the antique slide. Uh, I think I, Keith can correct me, but... Um, I think it was built in the 1970s and some, something like that. So it's pretty old. There's a diving board there, which is awesome. And it actually allows you to spring and do flips and stuff off of it. Uh, and, I, and I don't know for sure, but I, I do wonder if you were to build a pool today, if any of those things would be allowed, um, concerned for safety. And uh, what's been fun about it and interesting is that I get to see people uh, face a lot of common fears um, at Camp Maranatha, uh, mostly the fear of height. Um, or of heights, and then also of, of, of jumping off the diving board. And uh, one of the groups in particular, I remember uh, this summer, uh, they had a leader there. He was 20, 21 years old. Um, I forget his name, 
but he, uh, th this group was from somewhere in L.A., and most of the people couldn't swim, so they would kind of hang out in the shallow end. And uh, he, he wanted, he really, really wanted to go off of the slide. And uh, I think many of you guys have seen it, if not, but the slide, the slide's pretty tall. I don't know the exact height, but it's, it's, to me, it feels like it's like 10, 12 feet. And uh, the, the handholds climbing up the ladder, they're not as sure as you would like them to be. Um, and the stairs are, are slippery and hot. And this guy, he would get up on the, he got up on the diamond board and he climbed up the ladder. And he was standing there looking down the top and his hands were shaking like this. You could see it shaking. And he would put his foot up and then he, and he put it back down. And he's like, I can't. And so he's got all of his students there uh, cheering him on and telling him, you got it, you can do it. And uh, I told him, like, hey, if, you, if anything happens, I'll rescue you, no big deal. And, uh, but he was up there. And he was he was he he couldn't he couldn't put his foot onto the slide because you have to I mean to, to go down on your bottom you got to get up there and you got to sit down and it's kind of this awkward transition where you feel like man I could fall and it's uh, it's hard concrete at the bottom there um, I don't think anybody's ever fallen off of it but it's uh, definitely a scary slide fast forward to last Sunday um, I was there lifeguarding for the first day of kids camp. And uh, one of the girls there, she was, I don't know, eight years old, and she'd never been off the slide, and she goes up there, she looks at it, her friends are cheering her on, she just, she transitions, and she goes right down into the water. And uh, it's amazing to me how much uh, we are often plagued by fear in the Christian life. And I think in a way, the counselor is a, is a picture, we're standing there, and we're shaking, and we're not sure and we know God's truth, but then we, we, we just can't really put our foot um, onto the slide. And I think uh, the counselors is a great picture of that for us as we um, look into our passage this morning. Even though uh, you believe in God, you live as if the Father's love has to be earned. Even though you know Christ came from God, like the disciples say, you live as if Christ is still in the grave. Even though Christ has overcome the world, we live or you live with fear and anxiety when Christ's words are supposed to give us peace. And my, my point for you this morning is that in Christ, through His victory, we have peace in a troubling world. Christ's victory is our peace in this world. Now before we jump into it, I realize we're, we have two challenges before us. The first challenge is that we're jumping into a brand new book um, that hopefully you have read uh, at some point, um, but we haven't been studying this together. And so there's two things I want to share with you about that. First is, is the context of the whole Gospel of John. And in John chapter 20, uh, John writes, just to make it clear for everybody that reads this book, the purpose for his book. It says, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In a way, I think the Gospel of John is a great book for IBC because we do life together uh, here at IBC. The purpose of reading God's Word and of reading the Gospel of John in particular is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, the Gospel of John is a little bit different from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is often called the Synoptics. 
in that it stands alone in many ways. There's a lot of stuff. If you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, uh, you'll re- and then you read John, you'll see like, hey, well, John didn't have this and John didn't have that. Um, but you'll notice on the other side that a lot of the um, stories and, and the signs in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are different from John. And in a way, they, they complement each other and answer a lot of those questions. The synoptics fill in a lot of the details that John doesn't have, and John fills in a lot of details that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't have. And one of those details is this conversation that Jesus is having, is, is having with his disciples uh, right now. We're, we're jumping, this is the second uh, point, is that we're jumping right into the middle of a conversation. And the context here is that of a farewell discourse. And uh, it's interesting because originally uh, Brandon was going to preach on uh, like John chapter 15, and then I was going to preach on John 16, and the next week we're going to look at John 17 together. And uh, it, it changed, and it was great. If you haven't listened to Brandon, Brandon's sermon from last week, you should definitely uh, get the recording. Uh, but in a way, there's, a, there's continuity to God's word because uh, he looked at what was Moses' farewell discourse to the people of God, Israel. And this morning we're looking at Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. There's three major pieces of the, the farewell discourse. One is a review of the past. The second is to give instructions. And the third is to anticipate the future. And these three elements are much a part of Jesus' discussion with the disciples with statements when he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you in reviewing the past. There's imperatives, which are commands in, in 1624 and also in chapter 1633, which are clear instructions for the present. And perhaps the strongest element of the three in Jesus' discourse here is his Preparation for the disciples as he is about to leave. He says, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. You can look at other farewell discourses in Genesis with Isaac uh, or Jacob or Joseph. And then, like I said, uh, with Moses. But Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he understands that he needs to tell his disciples about what to expect when he's gone. There's a problem, though. The disciples, even though they think they have an idea of what's coming, they really have no idea. There's uncertainty about the life that they are going to live. As our passage shows us, there's a misunderstanding as well. The disciples don't understand the times. They think they know, but they really don't. We learn from our passage that the disciples are going to be scattered. They will be lonely. And we learn from our passage as well, the disciples will face tribulation. They will, they will go through trouble. They will have suffering. They will face trials. And the disciples will no longer see their Savior's face. And I think this morning that many of us can connect to some of those feelings. But Christ, He is our victory in these troubling times. He is our peace. And there's three main points that I want to draw out of our passage this morning. Number one is the Father's love. Number two is the disciples' belief. And number three is the victory of Christ. And those should all be on your note page in the, in the bulletin. First, we're going to look at the Father's love. And then the main idea, the main point is this, that in Christ, the Father's love is revealed to the fullest. We'll look at verse 26. We'll come back to verse 25. 
He says, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. It's weird because Jesus in the past has said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. But here he changes it to where he says, in that day you'll ask in my name, but I'm not going to ask the Father on your behalf. And that should cause a question to you as to why Christ would say something like that. And uh, many people have, have come to suggest that it, 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 it's talking about his intercessory work. And, uh, but, but Christ's intercession, his, he is the intermediary between us and the Father. That is, that is all true. Uh, but what Christ is speaking to here is that, that we now, through him, have direct access to the Father's love. It's important to, to understand that because as, as Christians, we often live as if we don't have access to the Father's love. We try and fabricate it somehow. We try and find it in our identity through our work or through our friends. Rather than looking to the Father's love where through Christ we, we have direct access to Him. And that's His point is that you don't need to ask me because you know the Father and my Father's love has been revealed to you to the fullest. The second idea is that the Father's emphatic love is for us. And the, the English doesn't quite uh, draw it out for you, but in the, in the Greek, um, there's an added article that is, is unnecessary um, to communicate the idea. But, but oftentimes, when the, when the article is added, it's to suggest this emphasis on the Father, because it, he, he could have said, the Father loves you, but in, 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 uh, in, your, in, in the English, he says, for the Father himself loves you. So it's not just Christ's love, but it is the Father's love. And the Father's love, I think, is best encapsulated by what uh, is recorded in verse 28. It says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. It's a short verse, but in a way, it encapsulates all of Jesus' ministry. I have come into the world. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Speaking of the incarnation, in John 1.14, we know that Christ, He came and He dwelt among us. He came to live with us. And He says, and now I am leaving the world, speaking of what is to come. But we know that He wasn't going to leave the world without being killed on the cross, being crucified, and rising from the grave. The shortness of the verse shouldn't allow you to overlook what Jesus said. This verse serves as a powerful and succinct, succinct state summary of the work of Christ. Jesus came from the Father, and He is now leaving the world and going to the Father, which speaks of His ascension. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, which is the way of the cross that Jesus must take now. In a way, as many of you all know, this verse, John 3.16, I think is a great... Uh, is a great verse to look at right here where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, the disciples' belief in, in Christ moves them out of condemnation into adoption as, as sons of God. As many of you know, Friday was a big day uh, for my family in which we 
finalized the adoption of Cora. Um, it, was a, it was a great day. And I do want to thank you for all your prayers and, uh, and many uh, encouragements along the way. In September of 2013, Amy and I took the first step into becoming foster parents uh, by shooting an email to a, a social worker that we had come in contact with. And uh, two and a half, well, not two and a half, four and a half years later, uh, here we are. Um, Cora, my wife was sitting in maybe the same seat, if not the row ahead, uh, on January 11th of 2015, in which she got a phone call from our social worker asking us if we would want to, to care for a 10-day-old girl from, from Hemet. And, uh, and we said yes. And uh, as you know, the, the, the process and the, and the, the, the trials um, were not easy. Um, trials, I guess, metaphorically speaking as well. Uh, but also going to the court hearings in which we uh, many, uh, a few times were sent home uh, because some paperwork hadn't been filed or this had been missing or uh, something like that. But uh, my point in sharing that this morning is, is uh, in preparing for that process, um, we would kind of get feedback along the way of people uh, who would say, well, how, how are you guys going to be kept safe? How are you guys going to you know, protect your heart from loving this kid, but then because uh, the in case she goes home to be with her birth parents, and uh, as much as I would have thought about that or or even tried to do that, I mean, Cora's a she's a lovable kid, but I, I held I held Cora in my arms for the the first time um, four hours after church on January 11th. We got a they, the social worker came to our house, brought a baby. We signed some paperwork for about 30 minutes, and then uh, they, and then she said, "Here you go." And uh, Amy and I, Amy and I had become parents. And uh, but I held Cora in my arms, and, and 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 I cried. I just, I mean, I was I was overjoyed. I was overwhelmed. I was, I mean, I I was uh, was thankful. Um, a lot of feelings, but uh, she has grown into a beautiful, uh, young and busy two and a half year old um, who was awake at five thirty this morning. Uh, but. My, my point being is, is, not, is not so much how much love I have for Cora because uh, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And I, I grow angry and I, I get short with her. Um, I ignore her. I, I mean, I, I often um, lose my temper. Um, but, but the Father's love is, is not like that. The Father's love is much greater than any love that I could ever have for Cora. I would like to think that I, I'm willing to lay down my life for my daughter, uh, but still the selfishness in me uh, would, would question that. The Father's love is not like that, though. He sent His, his, his only Son into the world to die a, a terrible death uh, for our sins, that we might have life with Him and be redeemed by Him. The analogy, it breaks down because my love is imperfect, and my sin enters the situation. But the Father's love is not like this. Through Christ, our adoption as sons and daughters is completed. We got to sit there in the courtroom on, on Friday morning. And uh, we were sworn in. And then we, we signed some paperwork. And then, and then we had to repeat or we had to respond to the judge's words in which we as parents uh, declared before everybody in the court that we would care for Cora and love her as much as we would uh, a biological child. And then we were given the, the promise of a birth certificate in which Amy will 
be her mother and I will be her father, just in the same way as if she had given birth to her. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, the Father's love doesn't withhold part of his love from his people. But he says, just as I have loved my son, so also I love you. In fact, have everything that that Christ has. The Father's love is revealed to to its fullest extent in Christ. My second point from this passage is on the disciples' belief. Where in Christ... The disciples' belief is corrected and perfected. We see in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. That's good news for the disciples. As many of you uh, probably know through reading the Gospels, the disciples were often confused and, and, uh, and lost by what Jesus said. Many times the people would come to Jesus and they would ask him questions and then he would go to his disciples and they would all be like, I don't know what you meant by that. And I wonder if, if, if you, when you read your Bible, you have kind of the same response. I don't really know what you mean. The good news is, is that he will tell us plainly about the Father. And the Holy Spirit was promised to the disciples in the same conversation and, and has been given to, to us for those who are in Christ today. And he will be our guide. It says in John chapter 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So you see, in Christ, after his ascension, the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost so that we could understand God's word. He is our teacher. So it's funny, we look at verse 28 or verse 29, he says, His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Those last three words came from God, if you read through the gospel, are a huge theme for John. And he wants to show that the Christ came from God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one many times that I came from my Father and the only thing that I can do is my Father's will. The disciples, though, they anticipated a little bit too much because we know in verse, in verse 30, uh, 31, uh, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? What's interesting here is that uh, in, in the Greek, the, the, the punctuation was added later. And contextually, it's hard to decide, is this a statement or is this a question? I mean, some people think Jesus saying, do you now believe like he's, he's excited? Some people think he's saying, do you now believe with a scowl? Like what? it's taken you this long? And uh, in a way, contextually, you can decide uh, for yourself. Um, I, I think, though, that, that he is uh, astounded at their faith 
but at the same time wants to make sure that they know what's coming. You see, he says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. You see, the, the, the correction of the disciples' belief was, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. This hasn't happened yet. I haven't fulfilled the mission for my father. They were right that, that he does know all things. Time and time again in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, members, just people of the community would come up to Jesus and he would, he would answer their questions. Most often not with the answers that they were expecting, but that he was still showing his disciples that I, I do know all things. And the disciples' declaration is, is true that he, he certainly does know all things for he has come from God. And that is why they, they believe that, that he came from God. But they were a little bit too excited in the moment because Jesus corrects them and says, no, 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 you, you believe now, but just wait until you're scattered. My third point is the victory of Christ, which Christ's victory is assurance of our peace and the means of our courage. Christ's victory is assurance of our peace and the means of our courage. You see, he, he gave the, his disciples a warning that even though they, they believe now, they would be scattered. And it's, a, it's an allusion uh, to what was prophesied in Zechariah uh, chapter 13, verse 7. You can turn there if you'd like, uh, but I'm going to read it. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, pointing ahead, looking ahead to Christ, and he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. You see, I think we have a great example or a bad example in the person of Peter, for which he said before Christ's death that I, I am willing to die for you. And, and Jesus corrected him and said, No, you're not. In fact... You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And I think sometimes we live as if we would do the same for Christ. But instead, we, we end up denying Christ. We're ashamed that we were seen at church, or we are ashamed that we, uh, are, we're, we're scared or fearful to speak up when we know and, and trust that God's word is the truth. You see, at this point in redemptive history, so in the course of of, of, of what is revealed to us in God's word. In the course of, of history, there's a, there's a moment about to happen where there would be three days in which Jesus' disciples would wonder if Jesus was gonna be, would, would come back to life. There would be three days in which Jesus is dead. And though he had told them many times, like we see earlier in the chapter, about a little while and you will see me, and a little, or a little while and you will no longer see me, and then a li again in a little while you will see me. They were confused by that and they would be confused at his death because they would all leave and they would all be scattered and they would all go to their own home. Upon the striking of the shepherd, the disciples would each go and they would leave him. Christ's confidence, though, is not in his disciples because he says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. The Father's love as it is for us is the same for Christ. He would not leave him he would not forsake him. 
In verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise of peace is within the context in which the disciples abandoned Jesus in His greatest hour of need. Some of you might be wondering, what what is the peace of Christ? The peace of Christ is characterized by understanding and having a correct understanding like the disciples uh, were corrected by Christ. The peace of Christ is characterized by understanding, understanding that Christ is on the throne and the victory is His. And that you have direct access to the Father in whom all of your life is under His care. In John 14, 27, He says to His disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the night that Jesus would be betrayed by his own disciple, Judas, who had already gone out. This is the night that, that he, would been, he would be arrested and put on trial. But Christ speaks as though his victory has already been accomplished and Christ's victory is our courage in the face of tribulation he promises disciples tribulation and not comfort he promises them tribulation and not an easy going lifestyle he doesn't promise them a vacation after he departed in fact when you read the 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 book of acts you learn that the road ahead for the disciples would be one met by internal uh, an external opposition to the gospel, and it was through Christ or through His through His people and His disciples that the church would be planted and would grow. The manner in which John records Christ's words is as if the victory has already been won. When Christ says, "But take heart, I have overcome the world," He speaks as if the 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 moment of victory on the cross has already been accomplished and that the effects of it are already in place. But we know that that at this moment that hasn't happened yet for Jesus and His disciples are still with Him and that they have peace because He's there. You see, there's there's a a difference between what Christ gives His followers and what the world gives His followers. That theme is a theme that's drawn out all through the book of John where the world offers one thing and I offer you this. And the world offers you this thing, but I offer you this. And here in this passage, he's saying that you have peace. Peace with the Father, because we have His full love. Peace of understanding, because the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to guide you. And you have my peace, because my victory has already been assured. The way ahead for the disciples was a way of suffering in which Jesus Christ would use them to build the foundation of the church. And it's still in that day that we live, in which we are followers of Christ and facing a troubling world. You see, the Father's love was opened up to the disciples then and is opened up to us. God's Word, Scripture, guides us in all truth with the Holy Spirit teaching us. And Christ's victory gives us peace in a a, a troubling world. 
We know now, and in, uh, this is in conclusion, that Jesus has returned to the Father, but he has accomplished his mission and given us peace in a world that comes with sorrow, tribulation, and trouble. The Father's love is revealed fully in Christ, and we need not look anywhere else for love. The disciples' belief has been corrected and will be perfected in Christ. And this is, it, it really comes down to our understanding of the gospel. I loved uh, Brandon's song selection uh, for this morning because it, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's what God has done for us. One of my professors at school named Michael Horton, he writes, the gospel is not good instructions, it's not a good idea, and it's not, a good, and it's not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel's not good instructions. It's not just, hey, good advice. Like, hey, if you, if you think about it, maybe you should put your faith in Jesus. No big deal. It's not a good idea to where just to understand it and know, okay, well, maybe I am sinful or I'm not. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Christ. We are made whole in Christ. We are given life in Christ. And the reason that he came was so that he might save us from, from ourselves. You see, there was a problem with the disciples who were going to face uncertainty at their times. And he says, I will send you the truth. That is God's word through the Holy Spirit. They were misunderstanding what was about to come and they were faced with tribulation. And he says, I will give you my peace. They were going to be lonely and wondering. They, they, they were going to go to their own homes. And he says, I have already overcome on your behalf. And we live in a time when Christ is absent. But his victory has already overcome the world for us. Paul writes later to, in his letter to the Philippians, which I think sums up the Christian life well for us, in which he says in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I think we live in a place oftentimes where we're, we're afraid to take that step like he was to get onto the slide. And we, we go home and, and, and we, we close our doors and we, we don't say hi to our neighbors. And we live in a place, uh, a small community, where we have the opportunity uh, to know our neighbors well to go and sit at the coffee shop and drink coffee with our friends or with strangers, to be hospitable to people that come in and out of town all the time. And I think we, we, we often think that going to church on Sundays, is, is that, that is the Christian life. But it goes, it goes way beyond that. The Christian life is a life that Jesus says is going to have trouble. It's going to have suffering. But He says... I give you my peace. What's interesting is after Jesus was resurrected, he went and he found his disciples in a locked room because they were scared about what was to happen. And he comes in and he says to them, my peace be with you. And I think we can have confidence that Christ's peace is with us as well. No matter what we're going through, no matter where we are headed, and no matter what trials we are facing, Christ gives us his peace because his victory on the cross took away all of our sins, gave us direct access to the Father, 
And he is teaching us and he is sanctifying us each and every day. My hope for you this morning is that the peace of Christ would rule in your hearts and that you would be courageous in your response to the tribulations that we face each and every day. For Jesus Christ has overcome the world for us. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that, that through Christ we can have com- confidence to come before you and ask you anything. We thank you that you give us truth through your word, that your spirit is at work in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the, the good news that is the gospel in which we can believe in you and have life to the fullest. Thank you, Father, for our passage this morning in which we learn that, that you love us, that you care for us, and that Christ's victory, though promised then, is, has been fully accomplished now, and that we can know that our life is in your care, that you are sovereign and you are good, and that when we face trials and tribulations, that we are overcomers, that we are conquerors in Christ. I thank you and I praise you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.